Hey guys, and thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of the Original Strength Podcast. I am with a very special guest this week, Mr. Zach Blaine. And the reason I wanted Zach on the show is because Zach is kind of like a freak of nature. Um, Super strong, super strong gentleman. And he's interesting, though, because he describes himself as a 40-something stick figure who decided to get stronger. And believe me that pound for pound, this guy is probably one of the strongest guys uh, you'll ever meet. So, Zach, thank you so much for being on the show. Tim, thank you so much, and I really appreciate being on the show. I'm a big fan of your work, and it's it's a real honor. Man, I, I, I first of all, I love that you're in your gym because you've got so many interesting tools uh, in the background behind you. Um, so I want, I want to get into some of that too. But Zach, how how did you get into to you just said you're you're described as a a stick figure who decided to get it stronger. How how did all of this come about? Um. Well, I think I got it predominantly from my parents. Uh, my mom was actually an ex-professional uh, ballerina, and my dad was a wrestling coach. And then for professions, they were both teachers. So I always say I grew up in a house with a ballet bar and a pull-up bar because my dad was big into pull-ups, and my mom thought that strength was mobility. So I got a really lucky with that start, and then the rest was just exposure, Kind of like uh, when Dan John talks about quadrants, it was just a lot of exposure to different things, different sports. And I was lucky enough to get a scholarship for running and it paid for school D1. And then um, I got introduced to more unconventional training because I I taught in Europe for quite a few years. So um, I got introduced to kettlebells, for example, in, in Finland in 2003, not as a style just as an implement to use and you can see all the hammers back there i got introduced to a lot of sledgehammer stuff and um when i took my first kettlebell class over there um i was an ex-college athlete and there was some people there in their 60s and 70s when we were doing swings that were just smoking me and i realized that i had a lot more stuff to learn so i've always taken the approach of School never ends, and um, I still take that approach today, um, trying to figure out new ways to do it and then taking the tool as more of an extension of things and focusing more on patterns. So if the tool gives you the right response, I like it, and but I like to have the diversity of bells, hammers, clubs, uh, sandbags, Bulgarian bags, and I always think of barbells as the most advanced. I always get to barbells last. Wow. So... You did you did you, you started out as a school teacher? Yeah, I I taught English in Europe for about nine years. Wow. Okay. So I actually finished school over there, so I um, finished school in Ireland and then um, taught around Europe. I taught in Norway, uh, Finland, um, France, Italy for two years, and then South Africa as well. And then I came back home. Wow. Yeah. So I got introduced to a lot of different training styles growing up in the United States, mainly from traveling, not from a particular style. I think that's what's caught my attention about you. Um, When I watch you train online with the stuff you put on Facebook, you are doing so many different things. Like Like you have so many different tools, but everything you do is so impressive. Like I saw a video of you pulling... I think you had 300 pounds worth of kettlebells and you deadlifted them 
every five minutes for 90 minutes. Is that, is that right? Yes. So we got, got about 18 reps in. Um, and again, I'm elevating it mainly because I got to the point with deadlifting that when it was about double body weight, I found that it was better to not pull more, but to figure out how to make ha- double my body weight more interesting. And I'm a big believer that um, if it's fun, it begins in the hips. So I kind of approach every athletic or anything in life really that way. If it's fun, it begins in the hips. And so when I get to a certain point, I don't necessarily chase the weight. I just want to see if I can make it more dynamic moving from the hips. So I'll elevate it, maybe use a different implement to make it a little bit harder. And I find that approach a little bit more dynamic and safer than just more weight. So that's usually why I put it kind of a unique spin on it. And I always say that I, there's no new exercises. There's just interpretation and expression. So I'm just kind of building off of a lot of other things I've learned from other people or things that have already been done. So, yeah, I've watched, I've watched you do some amazing things and I know you don't focus on the weight, but I think you're really good at challenging your body and meeting, you. You know, re- responding to that challenge where the weight comes naturally for you. Um, like you're, you are very, uh, I, again, I, I would call it freakishly strong. Um, and guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to look Zach up on, on Facebook. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, you, you do some very impressive stuff. And so thank you. here's what I want to ask you because I looked on your, your page and you have, and you kind of mentioned this, you said you focus on patterns and not weight. And we were just kind of talking about that too. What, what does that mean? You focus on patterns and not weight. Well, um, I, I think I get that predominantly from, again, from my folks. Um, dad really schooled me a lot in wrestling and the technique of moving a certain way, not being necessarily bigger because you're cutting weight a lot. And my mom was a big proponent that, um, when you're young, it's great to get introduced to dance. So I was one of those weird kids that had a wrestling coach dad, grew up in a logging town, and uh, was taking ballroom classes, ballet classes, tap. And what was good about that is you learn patterns, you learn how to move in different directions, and you focus more on planes of motion and how you're doing it. And then, then you start doing it well Kind of like Greg Cook says, you know, move, move well before you move often. And dance was a big part of that. So you would get used to a certain style of dance, the patterns of that. And then as I got older and into other things, I just kind of made, made it into more of heavy metal. I take a lot of patterns and just base a lot of things on safety, whether it's improving my grip, my lats and my glutes, and then how to get a better pattern out of that. And that's how I've kind of always approached it. I've never approached it from a bodybuilding point of view. I've always thought that was a nice side effect if you're doing the right things. Um, that, that is, that's really cool because uh, I think a lot of times it's easy to chase the sexy thing. Um, and, and you can, you can cover, uh, cover over a lot of gaps in your, in your strength or maybe even set yourself up for issues later. Um, but... If you, if you go for the good movement patterns and really for your background, I mean, I think you would be like a rare bird having the dance and, and the strength training, the wrestling. I mean, that is almost like the perfect athlete. 
um, you know, as far as as far as an upbringing goes. So, I, which now paints a closes the gap into why you are so strong. When I see you do stuff on 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 the internet, where I'm like, wow, this guy is pretty, he's pretty amazing. And I, I attribute it to a lot of coaches too. I mean, I I I'm a big fan of. Uh, especially your book, Original Strength. I do that with my kids all the time and keeping them on the ground, crawling, rolling, being comfortable on the ground, um, working with their feet to make sure their feet's engaged with the ground. And again, when you bring up crawling with clients, it's not necessarily sexy, but when you start getting them on the floor and they realize how hard they're working, you 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 can teach people how to plank pretty well just by getting them back to movements they deliberately did until they got to about four and then they start kind of taking on a stronger side and everything but a lot of those things that they develop in the first three years make them incredibly strong and and they're incredibly useful to come back to on a regular basis i've also watched you do some things on the internet where like if it was a strict weightlifting coach or trainer might be look at some of the things you do and be like oh like, is he, I'm not sure about his form. Um, yeah. But to me, I look at it and be like, this guy's really strong. And you're strengthening all those uh, areas of movement that most of us don't ever touch. Um, can you talk about, like, your take on good form, proper form, or just moving through strength? Um, well, when I make goals for myself like that, I will often... I'd rather be somebody's shot of whiskey than everybody's cup of tea. And <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do uh, post a lot of things that are um, very untraditional. I, um, a lot of my background in school was as a history student and philosophy major. So I did a lot of things that I, I love researching old ways of doing it and kind of dusting off things that used to be done. So when people say your knee needs to be exactly like this, this needs to be exactly like that. I, you know, we're all kind of snowflakes and there's certain people that got really long legs. There's certain people that have very long torsos and I'm more interested in whatever they are lifting. How is their body responding to it? Because when you have somebody who has enough hip mobility, you can, you can change the form of that. And I think you, people can kind of pigeonhole themselves into a certain training style and stop thinking outside of that style and they're, they're going to start limiting what they can do. There's a lot of things you can learn from other styles. And then those techniques might break some of the rules, but it's more how is the body responding to it? And if the body is mobile enough and ready enough to do certain things, um, there's, there's a lot of things to do. But sometimes I'll post things and I feel like I have to say this, this is not for everybody. You shouldn't necessarily do this. And with my clients, I'm not doing those things, but I am letting people know what's possible as long as uh, the body's ready for it. So you said with your clients, you're not doing those things. Do you, and I'm, I, I know I, I would imagine the answer is yes, because I, I do the same thing. Do you impart your philosophy and your your beliefs with your clients as far as like, do you, how do you, how do you approach that with your clients, uh, strength training with your clients? I, I approach strength training as in a kind of Bruce Lee kind of way. I, I am, uh, I'm coaching them to tap into their self-expression. 
And then it's my job to make sure that that self-expression is in third gear. So you, you'll get certain clients that um, go hard or go home. And they, after a certain while, they'll, they have enough tools that they don't need you anymore. But they keep you on board because you keep them in third gear. You keep them from pushing so hard that they're always sore. And then you have other ones on the other end of the spectrum that are always in first gear and you're pushing them a little bit harder to realize that they're a lot stronger. And I just take copious notes on what they're doing, what they're capable of doing. And a lot of people associate, you know, with the, what you see in the background, some things that, that might be hardcore, but um, my oldest clients are 85 and my youngest client is 17 and I've got a wide range of people and I've taken on people that um, it could be so straightforward where they, they just want to touch their toes again, or they just want to be able to get the golf ball out of the hole without having to use a fancy putter. It could be something very basic like that. And then there's other ones that are very sports specific. And when I deal with sports specific people, usually with their parents, I always tell them that, the specificity works at a price. Like the reason you're coming to see me is you've become so specific in one thing. I need to make you more general. So it's more like I'm always trying to bring them back to something. I'm using the philosophy, but I'm always trying to bring it back to third gear. Like you, you don't need to go hard all the time. Sometimes you need to be incredibly easy with your body. And um, sometimes you just need more sleep. I mean, so, some of those basic things where you just like, especially with young athletes, you need to be a little bit more mobile and you need a lot more sleep and you'll perform a lot better and all the intensity stuff you need to back off of. So I, I think I'm always trying to in, introduce them to what they're capable of, but make sure that they're staying in third gear until it's time to perform. Right on. So yeah. with, with all the tools and stuff that you have when they, when they come into your, your studio, um, is there a, like, do they want to just jump right to certain things or like, how do you, how do you, uh, corral them along, um, to, to be able to do some of the cool stuff that you do? Cause I know that some of them are aware of what you do, uh, and yeah. they want to do the, the fancy stuff. They do want to do the fancy stuff, but it's more me assessing where they might be. I always like to tell them that when we do an assessment, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where you're too strong. Are there synergist muscles and helper muscles that are doing too much work and how can we get your whole body involved because I'm a big believer that every exercise should be a total body exercise so we we will introduce them to things they'll see all the kettlebells we've got the whole kettlebell fence back here and we've got everything from two kilos and hopefully before the end of the month here the 100 kilo kettlebell should arrive so we've got We've got everything you can think of in terms of weight availability here, but um, I'm going to make sure that when they're doing a specific pattern, it, are they getting the right response to that pattern? And then we can work on making it harder. And if the and then if the load starts to tighten up certain things, we can open them back up. And then once they're efficient enough, we can start talking about volume and stuff. So it's mainly for them to realize that what's available in this room, which is only 680 square feet is can give them a lot of options, but it's more like, is it going to help you do the things you enjoy when you're not in the gym? 
And that's usually when I meet a client, I'm always like, what do you actually enjoy? Because my job is to make you enjoy those things, not make any, any, uh, any first year trainer can make you sore. And that's not my job. I need to make you start enjoying all the things you do outside of the gym. So your job then is to help them live their life better. Yeah. And as my good friend Chip Conrad in California always says, uh, better beats more every time. So it's, it's better beats more. So with all the tools that you have and all the things you know how to do, what are your favorite things to do? Uh, sledgehammers, probably. I'm a big fan of sledgehammers. Um, and I'm not a, against clubs or maces or anything. It's just the, um, the price range for a hammer, um, the utility of a hammer. I always call it the, the cheapest gym you can find is a, it's a nice sledgehammer. And I do do some circus type strength training with it, but, um, I like the dynamic of it. You, it incorporates speed, which the mace doesn't, um, the mace is usually a two hand movement hammers can be a variety of different things. And, um, the T shape of the hammer creates a little bit more of a grip dynamic than a club does. So I like, I just love the versatility of it. Um, I'm always trying to get my clients before they run off and buy, um, an expensive kettlebell is, um, let's get you a really good sandbag, which is incredibly difficult to hurt yourself with. And let's get you a hammer and, and the rest of it you can do with your body weight. And then, then you can start buying some of the, the spendy stuff. Cause anybody that's bought kettlebells, once you add in the shipping, it gets kind of crazy. So for a hammer for a client, what, what is a typical weight weighted hammer that you would have a, a just an average client get? Like how would I have them start with, I have them start with engineering hammers. Um, let me turn around here. You can see the, the smaller hammers there at the bottom. I have them start with uh, two or three pounds. And we do a lot of similar movements that you would do with Indian clubs. And I, I do let them know that every pound you add to a sledgehammer is kind of like going from a five-pound dumbbell to like a 15-pound dumbbell because of the lever. Um, and by the time they get to about eight pounds with engineering hammers, We'll move up, and they will go back down to six pounds, um, and then work their way back up with longer levers. And I like buying wooded hammers because then I can chop them down and bevel them a certain way and make them the right lever for what I want them to do. But, um, yeah, we even have the modified uh, hammer that Ryan J. Pitts made from Stronger Grip here that I think you could – I've got it up to about 100 pounds, so we've got – We've got the Thor hammer in here as well. Wow. Yeah. So I just like the versatility of them. And I have the most experience with that particular dynamic than the others. So for the listener that, that is into strength training and they're very familiar with, well, traditional strength training, what are some benefits of a hammer? Why would, why would somebody that doesn't know anything about hammers, why should they be interested in training with hammers? You can always find them. They're very inexpensive. Um, you can usually find them at even a garage sale. And the lever and leverage from the lever can teach you a lot about things. So I love offset training. I love the idea that you could teach somebody a hammer, a squat with a sledgehammer. You can hold the hammer upside down so it'd be easier. You can turn them up. Um, if they tend to favor one leg, you can offset it and 
and make it feel like a wrestling move where they can have to brace with the hammer. So they actually have to get live feedback and have to take the breathing more seriously. And that lever could really, really work them, even with graveyard diggers and different things. Um, still not really be dangerous in any way, but you, it, it's a great dynam- dynamic to get them to take the diaphragmatic breathing seriously and to make the exercise more rhythmic and not necessarily reps. I always follow the uh, three to nine rule here. So I want you to do at least three. And if you have to do more than nine, we probably need to make it slightly harder because there's no reason you need to do double digit reps. It's your body will just stop responding. So we need to figure out how to make the dynamic hard enough that you get the right response, but the reps low enough that you're doing them well and not just doing them for the sake of doing them. So you're kind of using hammers um, as a way to turn on your clients for flexive strength, but also learn their body at the same time. You're, you're teaching body learning, basically. Yeah, and it, it's I'm always kind of disappointed with a lot of high school programs where it's more about pumping iron, more load, more weight. You're dealing with really young bodies, and... Um, they don't necessarily need more weight. They need a little bit better pattern, maybe a little bit more mobility in the pattern. And you can get plenty of cardio from someone. Just, I mean, sandbags are great. You can, you can load them up. Um, when they're tired, they can dump them right on the ground and you can give them a great way to understand why they're moving a certain way they're moving instead of the fact that they went up a 10 or 15 pounds in a certain exercise. So, I, I love when it gives you live feedback, like sand will shift on you. It's really hard to do anything with a sandbag incorrectly because the sand will shift and then you're, you obviously don't have very good form. Kettlebells, you can kind of mask your form a little bit. You can do them incredibly well, but if you're not doing them well, it doesn't really let you know right away. Um, and hammers, it lets you know, it's very self-corrective. You know right away whether you're doing it well or not. <laughs> Have you ever have you ever hit yourself with that hammer? Nope, nope. Uh, I've had some really good teachers with it, um, and they've always uh, you you can progress them and so and regress them in so many different ways that you can learn how to use them. And what we do with the hammers, we have uh, sticks over here. We do things with stick mobility as well, but we also have um, a lot of dowels that you can pick up at a, gro- a department store. And we file them down and they learn all the patterns with sticks before they even start doing them with hammers. So you get very good at exactly the timing of it, the rhythm of it, before we start actually adding anything in that would be dangerous. Yeah, I was asking because the first time I picked up Indian clubs, I had Indian clubs and a DVD. And uh, I was... was Ed Ed Thomas? Yes, it was. (laughs) And the, on the DVD, they were doing some really cool stuff. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And I uh, somehow, I don't even, I don't, it happened so fast. I'm not even sure how it happened. But I hit myself right between the eyes um, with the Indian club. And I, I, almost, I looked like a unicorn for a couple of days. Uh, so, and, you know, <laughs> that was a club. And I was, I was never thinking I was going to hurt myself or hit myself with a club. So I was just curious about the hammer, if you'd ever hit yourself with a hammer. Nope, it hasn't happened. Um, I'm sure it, it could, but um, and I know what you mean with the Indian clubs too, because um, there's some good friends out there that have just incredible 
dexterity and rhythm with it. Uh, Kevin Rell's a good friend of mine that um, when I do hammer stuff with him, he's doing a lot of the Ed Thomas moves and other historical moves. And I'm just, I'm just not ready for him. But those, some of those Indian clubs with that synthetic resin they're made out of, if, if you did hit yourself, it would really get your attention. <laughs> it was funny. I was like one minute I was trying to watch the circle I was making with the two because I was doing two at a time. And then mm-hmm. the next second, I was looking at the ceiling and trying not to fall backwards. And it was the correct, because <laughs> it totally whipped my entire head back straight up to the ceiling. That may be why I have such good neck mobility right now. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, it was it was fun. And I was by myself. And so, of course, I laughed at myself after I got over the, the initial shock and pain. But um, it was it was an education. I've never done that uh, since that one time. And the other thing that was interesting is I um, got introduced to Indian clubs later. So some of the things I learned with Indian clubs had so much crossover to the hammer. It, they kind of, I understood what they were doing with it. And then, um, but yeah, I was introduced to hammers way before hammers. We go back to like 2003 and I didn't really get introduced to Indian clubs until 2011, maybe. So I think I, it, it came afterwards, and um, it, 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 I'm glad I got introduced to hammers, but they they are they are a little bit little bit different than than a club, and you can't the rhythm of a club is totally different than than a hammer. What are your What are your go to sandbag exercises that you like? Um, predominantly with clients is just getting them used to front loading. We'll have we always mess around with names because I don't try to, I try to make the name kind of fun in a way. And we, we start with uh, like firewood squads where you're just holding a big log and just getting them used to loading front loading because um, I always think of a back squat is pretty advanced. Like to get into a back squat, you have to have enough shoulder mobility. Your hip mobility has to be great. Um, especially to do it without belts or or shoes like you you don't want to compress the spine so i'll often work with football players who can back squat a ridiculous amount of weight and then all of a sudden you give them a sandbag that's 40 or 50 pounds and they've never worked so hard in their life and just the idea of front loading them because if i give them a barbell odds are their their elbow and wrist health are not ready for it and um it's not going to do them any favors in terms of wrist health. So we can get pretty much the same dynamic with a sandbag. So I, yeah, for front loading, I just love it for clients. And we've got sandbags in here again, all the way down to eight pounds and all the way up to 120 pounds. So like, even as they improve, there's, we just keep finding the right load for the right stimulus. How many sandbags were you holding in the video I saw on, on the internet? when you were doing squats, front squats, you had like two or three, maybe more sandbags. Yeah, I, I, I'll stack them and I've gotten up to doing a hundred percent of my body weight with, with front loaded sandbags. So at that time it was about 165 pounds maybe. Um, and I like to think of it that way because as we get back to the stick figure idea is, um, I'm a very lean guy. Um, when I ran, I was even leaner, but um, there's always going to be guys that lift more weight. And so I always try to approach it more mathematically where I, 
whatever I'm lifting, I try to think of it in terms of ratio to my body weight. So if I'm taking on a client, they might need to go way down and wait on a kettlebell swing. But I'll always tell them, like, don't worry about how many you're doing. My goal is to eventually get to a third of your body weight. Or eventually we get to half of your body weight. And I like to, and then they have immediate feedback on and numbers on how much stronger they're getting in terms of uh, their own body weight instead of competing with somebody else in the gym, which I, I try to not encourage. I'd rather they compete with the, whatever they're using in re- relation to their body weight. Right on. Um, so what do you weigh? You said, what, 160? Right now, I, last time I weighed in, I'm 158. Okay, so, so I'm about 71 kilos, somewhere in there. So your most recent post, which was pretty impressive, uh, just for the fact that you did two of them, you did a double bottoms up uh, kettlebell press with 40% of, you said it was 40% of your body weight. Is that correct? 40, uh, 40, 45% of my body wow. weight. So, wow. um, so what would that be? Uh, 32 kilos, about 70 pounds. Yeah, but, and I don't know if anybody's ever tried a double bottom. I mean, doing one bottoms up kettlebell press, that's, that's just neat, but you did two, uh, and you did it for reps. It's not like you just did it one time. You were, you were, you were repping it out there. Yeah. And, um, and I do it mainly to, um, again, it, the, the body weight ratio gives me an idea that I'm getting stronger. It, it makes my goals very incremental. I know that like maybe two years from now, maybe I can do that with half my body weight, but it's just not ready yet. And what I love about that is not so much the, the strength feat, but it, it's a great indicator of, you see a lot of people do military presses, extremes amount of weight, but, um, I have a ratio there and I can do it for reps. And to me, it, it's more of an indicator of the symmetry of my grip and, and strength the stability of my body and the mobility of my shoulders. So it gives me kind of a, a way to break down that I'm getting better in those things and that my left side still needs some work. <laughs> no, I, I think it's great. And I think I, I call that like filling in the nooks and crannies of your strength. Um, exactly. It's a foundation, but it makes everything else so much better. So if you did want to do this super heavy military press or whatever, you've got everything in place that you need to to do it unscathed where it's just a walk in the park for you and to take that down from the extreme level to something more practical with a client is if i'm taking on somebody who works very very hard but sits 12 to 14 hours and um, is doing a tremendous amount of data entry which is becoming not only normal it's becoming very much what a lot of people do my first job is i need to get their hips mobile and they're doing so much data entry and mouse finger that we working mainly on just getting their hands back to life and getting their fingers stronger and being able to make a fist also being able to open up their hands and they they will usually come in and want to pump iron and i'm like well let's just see on where your hips are and um if your fingers are equally strong and let's start there. And so on the other end of it, it's, it's just as much an application for someone who's not doing strength things, strength feats as well. Um, just so you know, and you, I'm sure you know, but you did not start out as a teacher. You are still 
you're still a teacher. Like I, it's just oozing out <laughs> the way you explain everything and the way you approach your clients. It's beautiful. Um, Thank you. So I got yeah. I got one more question for you because uh, you do collect wonderful toys and you do these really cool things, but you also seem to collect an interesting people. You had this. You have a, a group on Facebook called Our Jedi Council. What yes, is that? it's a it's a project. Um, again, I grew up in a I'm in a small logging town. Uh, our county is the size of Connecticut and Rhode Island combined, and we don't have an airport. So one of those things you realize when you're trying to improve yourself is um, I don't really have access to go to workshops all the time. If I'm going to go to a workshop, I'm going to need to fly to San Francisco or fly to Seattle, and I'm going to have to take four airplanes to get there. So one thing that's been great about social media, podcasts, um, the accessibility is when you're in a small place like myself, I wanted to build a, a group of coaches that were not concerned with adhering to a certain style. They were very open-minded. They were willing to learn. And so I just started writing as many coaches as I could find that I took notes on their work and asked them and built a group where no one is invited without their permission and uh, started building up a, a lot of a lot of really interesting coaches. So we have uh, about 525 coaches in 59 countries and about 127 different styles. And, and we just share each other's work and, and upcoming is, workshops and stuff. Yes, and it is an impressive uh, collection of teachers and coaches and just like in so many different focuses and abilities but they like you said they're they're open and they're they're outside of the box uh and your the your top picture is just wonderful it's it's where there is no style there is no slate and exactly i yeah. think that is just a beautiful summation of of even i mean I, that is the way right like you're not bound to to one thing you're not stuck in a rut but you're open, you're curious, and that's where I think you can really explore and find your strength or your true self-expression. And it, I think it helps you get out of ruts, too, because you can find yourself reaching plateaus, and it's maybe because you're maybe too set in your ways, and then you, you see other coaches out there tweaking things that you do, but they do it a different way, and it, you can all, I mean, you, every coach needs a coach and even the best coach still needs coaches <laughs> it's it's a good thing to have and it's a great resource too because when i get stuck with a client i can contact people there and say like i know you know a little bit more about this this is the situation and like how would you look at it and it gives you a fresh set of eyes on a problem that you're just not seeing the answer to that's awesome yeah so Zach, thank you so much uh, just for sharing your time uh, with us. Um, I like I, again. I think you're super fascinating. Just not only by the things, the physical feats that you do, but by your style and your approach to it. Uh, you're super, super humble. But and I can just see the the teacher in you just oozes out. Uh, it's it's really refreshing. So it's like not only are you a good teacher, obviously you're. But you're you're a good teacher because you're a good student and you're always learning you're you're always open and you're always growing so it's just it's just really nice to have you on the show um and i i do hope 
that some of the listeners will, will just be fascinated and, and actually check you out. Do you have a website or anything that people could find? No, you? Um, uh, uh, no websites. Um, and also like with my business, uh, no business cards or anything. Everything is word of mouth. So I just started with one and now we're at about 53 and it's just, uh, just word of mouth. So I do use Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is inspiration Zach. And I use those two mediums to kind of put myself out there and let people know what I do. But for the most part, it's, um, yeah, no website. I just, if, if I help somebody, I usually feel good that when they leave the gym, they'll, they'll let somebody that's close to them know and, and word spreads. <laughs> Would you ever entertain the idea of creating educational content for people that can't, that do not live close to you? Because I, I think you're a wealth of knowledge and that you could do a lot of good for a lot of people. I, yeah. And especially in our new normal, I've, I've, really started considering more of distant learning and stuff. I really will always prefer in-person learning. I feel like that's, you can do things remotely, but, and, but nothing beats um, working one-on-one -on -one with a coach. But yeah, it's something that I'm, that I'm exploring. Cause um, now that I've, uh, the gym's been in April, the gym hit 10 years. So I've hit the 10 year mark and I'm starting to explore ways to, uh, provide more content for people outside of where I'm at. Well, hey, congratulations on your 10-year anniversary with the gym. That's awesome. Thank um, you. And, and thank you so much for being on the show. So, guys, ladies and gentlemen, Zach is, you can find him on Instagram and Facebook, and I'll put his uh, information in the comments section of, of the, the podcast so people can check you out. Well, thank you very much, and uh, Tim, I want you to know that I, I've followed your work for a long time, and I'm, I'm taking notes on your stuff all the time, too. So your your influence outside of where you're at is, is making a, a big impact here at this gym as well. Well, well, thank you, but again, you're influencing me as well, so I, I thank you very much. I appreciate you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Zach Blaine. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Original Strength Podcast.